Please remain standing for the reading of today's scripture, which is Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name is Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared! Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been, how he had been known to, made known to them through the breaking of bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Thank you, Robert, for the reading. It's a long scripture passage today, but an important story for us to hear on this second Sunday of Easter when we are uh, diving into our Easter series that we are calling Risen, 
uh, where we are taking a look at what does the fact of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus arose from the dead, what does that have to say to us today? What does it mean for us in the context of our world? And how can it change us just as it changed Jesus's first followers all those years ago? I want to start this morning with a, a story. Uh, this is a story about me, about my very first job that I had uh, in ministry. It was a job that I, that I got at a church just after graduating from college. I was young. I was in my early 20s. And the church was large, not as large as, as this church, but, but a growing church nonetheless. And I was put in charge of organizing and preparing parts of our weekly worship experience at that church. Now, since this was my first real job in a church and just first real job at all, I, I of course, wanted to prove to everyone that, that I knew what I was doing. You might have had that experience. You, you've got a new job. It's more responsibility than you've ever had before in your life. You want to show people that you know what you are doing. I want to share a secret with you, though, this morning. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea what, what I was doing, but I wanted to, to, to show people that I was uh, the, the expert. And so I just pretended like I was. I heard that you're supposed to go around and make decisions, so I just started making decisions. Were they good decisions? Probably not, <laughs> but I just started making them. And I have this very distinct memory of, of one evening. I was having a meeting with our worship team, and we were making decisions about the music for, for that week. And, uh, and, and because I wanted to seem like I knew what I was doing, I started to make the decision for, for that week. And I could tell the moment I made that decision that everybody else in the room disagreed with me. You ever had that experience? Nobody had to say anything. It was just the way they looked, their demeanor. I could tell that they all disagreed with me. But everyone was very polite, probably too polite. No one said anything and we finished our meeting and as I was walking out of the church towards my car that evening, I looked across the parking lot and I noticed that the entire worship team seemed to be huddled up around someone else's car on the other side of the parking lot. And they were intensely discussing something and I thought, oh, what are, I wonder what they're talking about. And then it hit me. They're having the meeting after the meeting. You all know what I'm talking about, right? The meeting after the meeting. It's, it's when the people that were involved in the meeting you just sat in decide to impromptu gather up and discuss the things that you just discussed. And they finally get to say the things that they actually wanted to say 10 minutes ago. Now, sometimes that meeting after the meeting, sometimes that's where the, the real truth of the situation is told. Sometimes that's where the real issues of the day actually surface. It's the meeting where you figure out what you should have figured out at the original meeting, right? Now, sometimes these meetings after the meeting, sometimes they can be helpful. It can be a place to process and discuss uh, big ideas. Uh, but sometimes these meetings after the meeting, well, sometimes they're a symptom of lacking leadership. And that was true in my case. That team had gathered in that parking lot to discuss the decisions that I had made that they disagreed with. And don't get me wrong, they were not good decisions. That meeting after the, the meeting that I experienced that night was the first clue that I had that maybe I wasn't doing my best job of leading. And thankfully, through a lot of patience and a lot of grace, by the leaders of that church, I was able to learn and improve. 
But you see, I think these meetings after the meeting, I think that they happen a lot of times in our lives when we fail to understand and recognize the significance of what is happening right in front of us. There are times where we start to take things for granted, that we know what we're doing, that we know what we're experiencing, that we know what we are seeing, but sometimes we don't. When I was trying to lead this ministry team early in my career, I failed to recognize that my leadership skills were lacking. I failed to understand the reality of what was right in front of me. And this happens to all of us at some points in our lives. We take things for granted. How much do we take these good things in our lives for granted? The the time sometimes that we have with friends and family the opportunities we have to experience the beauty of the world all around us. We are often given amazing gifts in our lives. And for whatever reason, sometimes we just fail to slow down enough to appreciate it, to realize how significant those moments actually are. This week, uh, I ran across a blog post on the internet by a a well-known Christian writer. And she was She was talking about her Easter Sunday, the one that she just had this past week. And she's got a young family and and she wrote about how the day started for them before dawn with her getting her kids and her husband up out of bed before anybody was really ready to get up out of bed. It was fixing breakfast and then getting the kids into the Easter outfits that they actually really didn't want to wear. You know, the one where the shoes hurt and the collar is stiff and scratchy. And then it was off to the, e- uh, the early Easter service because they wanted to make sure that they got seats all together, which they just barely did. And then it was back home after the service. There were threats that were made to stay in your suit and to help your mother set the table. And eventually the grandparents finally made it over for the big Easter lunch. And, and they had the big Easter lunch. And just as that was getting uh, over, and just when you think everyone is ready for the second most holy time of Easter Sunday, which is the holy Easter nap time, uh, then it was off to a, a friend's church because they were having an Easter egg hunt at their church. And so it was several hours of afternoon play outside. And then finally it was back home just in time for baths and for nighttime reading. And finally everyone was back in bed, exhausted, but feeling good. And this writer, she said, that was my Easter this year. There were no big theological insights to it. There was no spiritual lightning that came down and and struck me. She said, I was just happy I could be with my family and make it through the day in one piece. And look, that's sometimes how life feels, right? It's it's busy, it's hectic, it's exhausting. We we don't always have time to sit down and and have the deep theological insights every single Sunday. We, We don't always feel like we have the time to be struck by spiritual lightning. Sometimes, sometimes, let's be honest, we're just faking it until we make it, right? I mean, it's true at work, it's true at home, and it's true here as well in the church. There are Sundays where we can come and feel like a veil has been pulled over our eyes, where we sometimes miss what is so important that is right in front of us. Now this morning, you might have noted in our scripture text that that the story of the Emmaus walk in, in Luke, it basically picks up right where we left off last Sunday. It's, it's the resurrection day. It's three days after the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus 
of Nazareth, except the two men that we read about today, they don't realize what has happened yet. They don't really get it. Now they've heard rumors, but, but they don't fully understand. These men are walking a few miles outside of Jerusalem to a small village called Emmaus, and they are discussing everything that had happened the week before. Everything that had happened to the teacher that they had been following, this man, Jesus of Nazareth. They're processing, they're working through it. They're having a meeting after the meeting. And while these two men aren't mentioned anywhere else in scripture, we can assume that they knew who Jesus was. We can assume that they had met Jesus, or maybe at least they thought they knew who Jesus was. Like everybody else, it's apparent from their conversation that they had been waiting for a Messiah, a savior that they thought would come and maybe defeat the Roman empire that would, that would cleanse the temple and restore right worship, a savior that would come and restore Israel to her greatness. Now, maybe they had been there on that first Palm Sunday, waving palm branches and, and saying, Hosanna. Maybe they had followed Jesus around on that first Holy Week. They had heard him teach at the temple. They had seen him pray in the garden. And maybe they had been standing in the back of the crowd while uh, fearfully listening while everyone else yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And maybe they had been one of the acquaintances that Luke mentions that was at Golgotha that day standing at a distance while Jesus hung on a cross. Now, we're not completely sure about all this. This is just kind of my guess. But what I would bet is these men met Jesus. And they thought they knew who Jesus was. And yet it seemed to them that the events of Good Friday had put all of that under doubt. You see, it turns out they had missed the significance of what was happening right in front of them. Now, here's a lesson for us, too, this morning, something for us to take home. And it's this. Anytime we, we reduce God's plans to our own desires, even if they're of the best intentions, but anytime we think that Jesus has come to bring about restoration just to our plans, just to our desires or our buildings or, or whatever it is, well, we, we, miss, we risk missing the real significance of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So when we say things like Jesus restore our nation, Jesus restore our institutions, Jesus restore our denomination. Well, well, anytime we become beholden to one particular thing that we want Jesus to do, well, what we might actually be doing, we have to be careful about it. What we might be doing is putting Jesus in a box that can never contain him. Maybe another way to say it, is that we might be putting Jesus in a tomb that can never hold him. Because while Jesus certainly cares about the things that we as human beings build up, and don't get me wrong, we, we need to be praying fervently that God will work powerfully in our institutions and in our endeavors. But if those are the only things that we think Jesus can do for us, then we might have sorely misunderstood the meaning of the first meeting the first meeting when God came down in flesh to be with us. You see, Jesus did not just come to defeat ugly political discourse, although he can do that. 
And Jesus did not just come to defeat institutional malaise, though he can do that. And Jesus did not come just to defeat denominational decline, though we pray he will do that. Jesus came to defeat death in all of its forms and to bring life. And when we come to the place in our lives where where we start to recognize that, the significance of what that means for us, we start to understand how it changes the world. You see, those disciples on the road to, to, to Emmaus, they, they had to experience Jesus in a new and wholly different way in order to fully grasp what the crucifixion and the resurrection meant. They had to have a meeting after the meeting, another meeting with Jesus himself in order for their eyes to be opened. I, I was thinking about how that was actually the experience also of a, a person we think pretty highly of around here. That's John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist movement. We've got a statue of him uh, out in our narthex. I, I don't know if you, you knew this, but early in his ministry, Wesley had gone on a mission trip. Of course, he's from England and he went on a mission trip to America. He, he came over to America, to Savannah, Georgia, actually. And this picture is the statue that you can still visit. It's in Reynolds Square in Savannah of John Wesley. Now, this was the early 1700s. Georgia was, was uh, just a small debtor's colony at the time. And Wesley had come with the, the missionary goal of preaching to and converting the Native Americans to Christianity. That was what he wanted to do. Except that Wesley didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Not really. He was an utter failure at this endeavor. Not only did no one convert to Christianity from his preaching, um, he ended up making the people of Savannah so angry with all of his religious rules that all of the people in Savannah got together and had a meeting after the meeting. And that meeting was to see if they could get John Wesley arrested and kicked out of Georgia. (laughs) Yep, that's the founder of our movement right there. He actually had to leave in the middle of the night and catch the first boat back to England so that he wouldn't get arrested. Now, when he came back to London, Wesley was so discouraged that he considered giving up ministry altogether. And that's when he met a young pastor, a man named Peter Bowler. And Bowler gave him one piece of spiritual advice that changed Wesley and changed the world. The advice was this, preach faith until you have it. Preach faith until you have it. Preach faith even when you don't feel it in your heart every single day. Preach faith even when you go out and and you have a little doubt in the back of your mind about whether whatever you're saying is going to be effective. Preach faith anyway. And that's what Wesley did. And it was just weeks later that Wesley had an experience at a place called Aldersgate in which he said his heart was strangely warmed because he had met Jesus in a new and different way. You see, Wesley thought he knew Jesus, right? He was a priest in the Church of England. He was a missionary. He was going to preach. He'd grown up in the church. And yet... When he had that meeting after the meeting with Jesus, 
Well, that was the meeting that changed him. And we're sitting here today because of that. And notice those disciples that were walking to Emmaus, notice how they came to know that it was Jesus that was in their midst. It was through a meal. As Jesus blessed and broke the bread and shared it with them, the text says that their hearts were strangely warmed. And they knew that they had experienced Jesus in a way that had been different than the first time. Look, I I don't know where each of you sit this morning. I don't know what your Easter was like last week. I, I hope it was a deeply spiritual time in which you were able to gain some profound theological insights into the meaning of life and resurrection. But you know what? If your Easter resembled herding cats, that's okay too. We're human beings. We're broken. Sometimes we just have veils over our eyes. But what I want to let you know this morning is that the good news of the resurrection is that even if you feel like you might have missed Easter this year, for whatever reason, let me assure you, you have not missed your chance to meet with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to invite you to the best meeting you're going to go to all week. And it's a meeting that happens at the table. When the bread is broken and the cup is blessed. And we know the grace of Jesus Christ that warms our hearts, that changes us, and that can change the world. I pray it will be so today for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.